It is so good to be worshiping the Lord with you today. And I know that if you've been blessed like I've been blessed, I know that you have already received a touch from the Lord. We praise the Lord for such an excellent music department as they brought us before the throne of the Lord in our praise and worship on this morning. I wanna welcome you to our broadcast on today. I also wanna give honor and praise to our leader, Bishop Charles E. Blake Sr for his excellent and spirit-filled leadership, and for First Lady May L. Blake. I also want to wish all of you a happy Valentine's Day. Well, beloved, let's go before the throne of the Lord in prayer. Dear precious Heavenly Father, I ask that you would bless this time, that you would bless this word. There is someone out there that needs a touch from you, that needs to know that you love them, that you think the best for them. We pray that you would send your spirit into each person's home on today, wherever they may be. We thank you for your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Let's go to the word, shall we? The book of Jonah, chapter one, verses one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go from them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now let's go to Luke chapter 22, verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. He knelt and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. 
Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Now let's go to the book of John, verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 30, where it reads, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the Father who sent me. Our title today, friends, is not my will, but thy will. Now, Jonah has always been one of the most interesting characters in the Bible to me. He is known as a prophet, one who was sent to proclaim the word of the Lord. But he was the only prophet in the Bible that I know about who was commanded to do one thing, and he did the complete opposite of what he was told to do by the Spirit of the Lord. God him told him to go this way to proclaim his word and he went that way. It reads, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now that was the will of the Lord spoken in Jonah's life. This is what God wanted Jonah to do. But what does Jonah do? But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, this is completely understandable. At this time in the life of the Israelites, they were being harassed and attacked by the Assyrians. These folks would come in and burn the fields, kidnap the women and the children, and wreak pure havoc on the countryside. So Jonah, like every other good Israelite, hated the Assyrians with a very special passion. Now, one of the greatest cities in the Assyrian territory was the city of Nineveh, a city with six score and a thousand people in it. That's about 120,000. And that's where God told Jonah to go prophesy. Now on the surface, one might think that since Jonah hated the folks in Nineveh, that he would not have had a problem going to cry out against them. I would feel good about going to tell people that I didn't like that God is going to get them. But you see, Jonah knew that if he wanted to cry out against the city of Nineveh, that they would have a chance to repent and not face the justice of the Lord. And Jonah did not want them to have the chance to be forgiven. He just wanted God to wipe them out. That's what Jonah wanted. That was Jonah's will. So instead of dealing with all of that, Jonah goes way down to Joppa and catches a ship to Tarshish, which is, as we said, in the opposite direction. Nineveh, Nineveh was this way, while Tarshish was that way. He thought that he could get away from God's will by leaving the geographical area, and that's what many people of that time believed. But they didn't know that God is God everywhere. And God, in all of his power, using the tools of a great storm and a real big fish, 
gets Jonah right where he's supposed to be. So Jonah reluctantly goes into the city of Nineveh and tells the people that God is going to destroy the city in 40 days. But something expected happened. The people of Nineveh heard what Jonah had to say. They repented and turned to the Lord. I mean, they were so serious about turning to the Lord that the king decreed that the entire kingdom was going to go on a fast and that everybody had to wear sackcloth and cry out mightily to God for forgiveness. In Jonah 3 and 8, it said that they even had the animals wearing sackcloth. I mean, they were serious about their forgiveness. And guess what? Jonah had the nerve to get angry because God wasn't going to destroy the Ninevans like he wanted them to be destroyed. This lets us know that God calls whom he wills and he does not care what we think about it or them. Again, we are the ones that walk around in pride with our noses up thinking that we know and can dictate whose life God is moving in. Throughout our text, we are seeing how Jonah is doing everything according to his own will and how he ultimately learns that it is not about him and his will and about what he wanted, but it's all about what God's will is. If you look a bit closer, you can see that Jonah got his will from the same place all of us get our wills and perspectives from. Our experiences, our environments, our backgrounds, our parents, our cultures, our societies, our desires, our fears, and our aspirations come from those things that formed us in the past. And each of these things must be brought under the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit. If you want a prayer for your life, ask the Holy Spirit to really show you who you really are, where you got your desires and perspectives from. And then pray for the strength and the courage to surrender all of that to him. Now, as we look at our text involving Jonah and then our text involving the word of Jesus, we can see that there is an obvious difference between the way that Jonah is reaching, is reacting to the will of God for his life versus the way that Jesus is reacting to the will of God for his life. Most of the time, we think of Jesus as being tempted only on the mountain and in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he was tempted to exert his own will every day of his life and ministry, not just when his life was in danger. For example, he could have been tempted when after he fed the 5,000 men, not counting women and children, and they tried to crown him king, he dispersed the crowd and went into the mountains to pray. He lived according to God's will and not his own. It's how he was able to let himself be crucified for our sins. In our text, he says it clearly. If it is your will, please take this cup from me. Please. But he sighs. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Not what I want but what you want, Father. In John chapter 5, verse 30, he says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, 
but of the Father who sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, it's been said that any man can face adversity. But if you want to measure a man's true character, then give him power. Jesus could feed thousands. With a touch, he could heal the sick. With a word, he could raise the dead and calm the storm. If he wanted to, he could have raised an army that could have conquered the world. Now, if that isn't power, I don't know what is. But he let himself be crucified on a hill that he spoke into existence. He let himself be nailed on a tree that he created. The word says Jesus has been given all power in heaven and in earth, and he still laid his life down before the will of his heavenly father so that we could have life and life everlasting. Jesus knew that it wasn't about him and his own desires. It was about him putting God's will before his own will, before his own desires, before his own ego, before his own dreams, his own life. Before we judge Brother Jonah too much, we need to ask ourselves how many times has God spoke in our lives through his word and we've done the exact opposite. How many times has he told us to speak or reach out in love to someone that may have been hurting and we went the other way because we were tired or would have been inconvenienced or we might not have liked the way the person looked or we didn't like that person or those people. The reason I can't judge Brother Jonah too much is that I'll have to admit that I've had in more times in my life when I've acted more like Jonah than I would care to admit. I'm sure we all have. Many of us in our walk with the Lord have wondered what God's will is for our lives. Well, his will for us is first that we would lay down our lives at the foot of the cross to be crucified. Now, that means that we lay our own desires down at the foot of the cross. That means that we lay our own past down at the foot of the cross. That means that we lay our guilt and pain and regret all at the foot of the cross. But for us who are already saved, it means that we have to lay our own righteousness down at the cross. It means that we have to lay our future down at the cross. Our personalities, our biases, our perspectives, our whole identity has to be laid down at the foot of the cross for the Holy Spirit to deal with what we think makes us, us, our own identity. You see, if you've already accepted salvation, your battle with Satan and sin was won at the cross when Jesus was crucified and when he rose from the dead. I'll say it again. Sin and the devil were defeated when Jesus got up from the grave. So I'm not worried about the devil. The reason I have to lay down at the cross now is because I need to be saved from myself. Even the things within myself that I think are good or right. Why? Because they come from me and what I think is good or right. 
Jonah thought it was good or right for God to wipe Nineveh off the face of the planet. But that was Jonah's will, not God's. We are supposed to lay every aspect of our lives down to be crucified with Christ, to lay down what we want, our dreams and aspirations, even if they are good, on the altar of the cross and give them to our high priest, which is Christ himself. I know that it's a scary thing to have to lay down all that is important to you, who you are. But it says in the word that if a person seeks to save their life, then they will lose it. But them that lay down their life will gain life. What the Lord is trying to tell us is that if we be crucified with Christ, we will also be raised with him in resurrection. Meaning that if I give all that I am up, the way that I think, all of my dreams, all of my desires, all of the good things that I want to do for people, and all that I think is right, if I take all of those things and lay them down at his feet as dead and crucified, he will give them back to me in a way that I did not think possible, resurrected and glorified. That is what it means to be born again. That is what it means to be a new creature. Old things passing away and all things becoming new. Paul said it himself when he said, I crucify the flesh or my will daily. This is a fight with ourselves that we will have to fight each and every day of our lives. We have to fight every day we draw breath to make sure we are hearing God's will for our own lives and not what we think is right or what we want. Every desire, every aspiration, every fear, everything that we think we want has to be carefully scrutinized and reflected on. We have to ask ourselves where we got them from. What were we seeing in our lives when we decided that that's what we wanted? How much of that desire, that aspect of our will, will keep us from seeing what God is trying to do for you in all of your life. It all has to be laid before the Lord. It is our will that we would get whatever we ask for when we want it. Most of the time it has to do with some kind of material blessing. That job we want that's going to give us, um, or that job that we want, or the house, or the car that we want, or that relationship that we want to be in. It would be our will that we would never have to face a day of want or adversity. But life doesn't work that way, does it? God sees beyond our desires and what we think we want, and he has a plan that is much bigger than anything that you could imagine. God looks beyond our adversity and sees us as victorious. He says, for I know the plans that I have towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Thoughts that you would have a future and a hope. Sometimes we might not understand his will, but things happen when you follow the will of the Lord. Peter and the sons of Zebedee had been fishing all night and didn't catch anything. And Jesus, while preaching from their boat, asked them to go out into the deep. It was their will to quit, 
But because it was Jesus's will, they went back and they ended up with a net breaking, boat sinking blessing. Not my will, but thy will. It was not the widow's will during the famine to use her last bit of oil and flour to make a cake for Elijah the prophet. But because she did, she ended up eating good during a famine. Not my will, but thy will. It was not Naaman's will to have to dip himself in the dirty river Jordan seven times when he sought out the man of God about his leprosy. But when he followed the will of the Lord, he was cleansed and healed. You see, my friends, I need somebody to know that God's going to work it out for the good. All things work for the good of those that love the Lord. Oh, somebody give the Lord some praise on today. Hallelujah. You know, it reminds me of a time. I guess it had to be around 1976 or 77 or so. Then Pastor Charles Blake Sr. had been serving as pastor of West Angeles Church on Six and Adams for about seven or eight years or so. The gospel was being preached. People were getting saved. West Angeles was growing. Pastor Blake knew that if West Angeles was going to keep growing, we would need more space. Just to the north of the church was an apartment building that had come into a bit of disrepair, and the property came up for sale. Pastor Blake tried to talk to the owner, but for some reason, the owner seemed to be very difficult, almost as if he had some kind of personal grudge with the church. He let Pastor Blake know that in no uncertain terms that he would never sell West Angeles that property. Now this presented an issue. It seemed to be a very disappointing situation. At that time, getting the property was Pastor Blake's will and it was a good thing. West Angeles needed to grow. But God had something else in mind. Not too long after that, Pastor Blake got a call from his good friend, Reverend E.V. Hill. We may have had Adams and Six in mind, but God was looking at Crenshaw and Jefferson first, and then a little bit later on, Crenshaw and Exposition. Now, somebody needs to give the Lord praise on that day. All things work for the good of those that love the Lord. You see, all we have to do is stay in a state of not my will be done but thy will be done, Father. Not what I want, but what you want. Not what I think about things and situations and people, but what you think about situations and people. As children of God, this is what we are to do. This is how we get closer to him. This is why we are told to fast. This is why we are asked to give to God's work. If it is too inconvenient and hard for you to give or fast our money and your time, your money and your time, how are you going to give your life to him? What God has for you in your future is so much more than anything you have planned for your own life. He has purpose in mind for you. He has meaning and relevance in mind for you. I promise you that that which is crucified with Christ will rise with him. Not my will, Father, but thy will. 
Not my will, but thy will. Not my will, but thy will be done. Let's pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you have a plan and a will for our life. And we thank you that that will is much better and greater than anything that we could imagine for our life. We know that there is someone out there that is ready to give their life to you. That there is someone out there who is just simply tired of the way that life is playing out in their own life. Please repeat after me, dear precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son to die for our sins. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that he came and died for our sins. And we believe that he rose again on the third day. And we ask him into our lives right now. We ask him to forgive us for the wrong that we have done and the wrong that we have been. And we accept him and his forgiveness and his love and his mercy into our hearts right now. And we thank you so much that we are now free from sin. We thank you so much that we have salvation. We thank you so much that we have victory in our lives and we are on our way to heaven. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, beloved, if you prayed that prayer with me, you are now saved and in the kingdom. We ask that you join a church in your area and that you too can be blessed. And we welcome you to the body of Christ. God bless you and we love you.